Good morning, everybody. Let's just ask God's blessing upon what I say this morning. Oh, Lord Jesus, we do thank you that you are the bread of life. And we do pray now, Lord, that we may have our daily bread. Lord, uh, not through me, but that we would hear what you are saying to each one of us. I myself will hear what you're saying to us, Lord, as individuals, as a fellowship. We pray, Lord, that we would hear your word and act upon it. For your glory, we ask this. Amen. So you may remember um, a little while ago, I finished a series of talks on the first letter of John. And it seems appropriate that we should look at John's second and probably the third letters as well. Um, Certainly we're going to look at the second letter today to John. um, And we might look at his third letter next time I speak. But for today it's going to be to John. Now the evidence concerning the authorship of 2 and 3 John is not as strong as that of 1 John. But you'll see, and if you've read them altogether in the past, that the vocabulary is similar and the subject matter has connections or links with 1 John. That's between 2 John, 3 John and 1 John. An example of one of those links between 2 John and 1 John is the mention of Antichrist, mentioned by John in his first letter at the beginning of chapter 4. He refers to them again in 2 John verse 7, and we'll see that later as we read the letter. Now it's probable, in spite of the fact that there being no um, recognised or no, no real strong evidence of the authorship, but it's probable that all three letters are dealing with the same situations, the same dangers, the same people groups, and also that it is the same author. The date of the second letter is believed to be around AD 90, written shortly after 1 John. The main reason for the letter, as um, I hope you'll see as we read through it, uh, could have been a warning from John about extending hospitality to travelling teachers who were not bringing sound, true doctrine to the churches that they visited. Now these people could have been the false teachers and antichrists from the same group mentioned in 1 John. You'll also see, and watch out for this, three words or themes, you may remember me speaking about these, um, occurring in this brief letter, which were recurring three themes of 1 John, and they are truth, love and obedience. And finally, um, before we... Uh, read the letter, uh, just ask you to think about what we can learn from it as we go through it and how we can apply it to our lives. Now, just a few um, more things to say about it. There is some confusion in the letter, which we'll come to in a minute, but the main message is timeless in that, as we can see today, in today's world, there are false and seductive teachings within the church and they threaten the, uh, the very doctrine of the church and the stability of the church. And you'll hear more of that later. But first, um, a verse that came up uh, or is, was alluded to in our um, meeting yesterday from 2 Timothy 4, verses 3 and 4. I don't know if you want to turn to this. It's a verse that's been quoted many times, I'm sure, of late. Paul's words to Timothy, 2 Timothy 4, verses 3 and 4. As usual, we're going to be dotting around the Bible all over the place. Keep your finger in 2 John. 
So Paul says to Timothy, for the time will come when they will not endure sound doctrine, but according to their own desires, because they have itching ears, they will heap up for themselves teachers, and they will turn their ears away from the truth and be turned aside to fables. Now, um, John reminds us again in this letter, not as extensively as he did in 1 John, but in in 2 John he reminds us also um, that Jesus was fully man and fully God. And this is really the doctrine that he's talking about, the the doctrine of Jesus Christ. And um, because not everyone believes the same as I hope we all do here, um, he warns us about giving hospitality to anyone that doesn't accept that true doctrine of Jesus Christ. So without any further ado, let's read uh, just 13 verses of 2 John. So 2 John, if you're ready. To the elect lady and her children whom I love in truth, and not only I, but also all those who have known the truth, because of the truth which abides in us and will be with us forever. Grace, mercy and peace will be with you from God the Father and from the Lord Jesus Christ, the Son of the Father, in truth and love. I rejoiced greatly that I have found some of your children walking in truth, as we received commandment from the Father. And now I plead with you, lady, not as though I wrote a new commandment to you, but that which we have had from the beginning, that we love one another. This is love, that we walk according to his commandments. This is the commandment, that as you have heard from the beginning, you should walk in it. For many deceivers have gone out into the world who do not confess Jesus Christ as coming in the flesh. This is a deceiver and an antichrist. Look to yourselves that we do not lose those things we worked for, but that we may receive a full reward. Whoever transgresses and does not abide in the doctrine of Christ does not have God. He who abides in the doctrine of Christ has both the Father and the Son. If anyone comes to you and does not bring this doctrine, do not receive him into your house, nor greet him. For he who greets him shares in his evil deeds. Having many things to write to you, I did not wish to do so with paper and ink, but I hope to come to you and speak face to face that our joy may be full. The children of your elect sister greet you. Amen. So, verse 1, let's look at the author first of all. We believe it to be John. He introduces himself as the elder. And the word originally meant an older person deserving respect. It was applied in New Testament times to officials attached to one congregation whose authority did not extend beyond that congregation. However, John writes here with the authority not only from his age, but also his personal qualities. As one of the apostles and founding fathers of the modern church, he probably held an influential position, like that of a bishop, and assumed authority over the church at large. Let's look at the recipients. To the elect lady and her children... Now this phrase, along with verse 13, have a quick look at verse 13 again. The children of your elect sister greet you. This is the part that causes some confusion. And there are at least 
two interpretations which I'm going to run through quickly of the elect lady and her children. Now, if you've got two interpretations of that, you've got two interpretations of verse 13. So, first of all, some believe that the elect lady and her children refers metaphorically to a Christian community or church, fellowship, whatever you like to call it. In this case, verse verse 13 would then refer to a sister church and its members. Others believe that the letter is addressed to an individual and her own children. If this was the case, verse 13 would effectively say that this lady's blood relative, her sister and her nieces, send their greetings. Now that doesn't quite ring true to me, so I favour the first interpretation, the letter being written to a church community. There are other, I mean, um, another interpretation is that this elect lady is actually a, a real name, but I don't subscribe to that at all. Anyway, that's besides the point. The real message of the letter, however, is not diminished in any way by this confusion. And um, the words elect lady possibly come from the idea of the church as being the bride of Christ. So let's look at the subject matter now. Verses 1 to 6 we look at. Um, we see here the recurring themes of truth, love and obedience. In the first four verses, truth is mentioned five times. Now in all probability, uppermost in John's thoughts when he wrote this letter was the truth about Jesus, the doctrine of Christ, as I said. We saw from his first letter that he was contending against the Gnostics and false teachers and even referred to some of them as antichrists. In, John, in 2 John verse 7, if you just look at that quickly, again he calls those who do not believe that Jesus Christ, who remember is God himself, who has come in the flesh, he calls those who do not believe that deceivers and antichrists again. Now, as we refer to ourselves in this fellowship as truth seekers, I felt it would be good to expand a little on the theme of truth. And I'm going to do this in a very circuitous route, so stick with me, won't you? <laughs> to put truth, the truth of the gospel into context, it's probably best to remind ourselves, firstly, of God's love. And that's, love is a theme here, so that's why I'm going this way around. So, in John's first letter, he writes it twice in 1 John 4 verse 8 and verse 16, we learn that God is love. God is love. In um, 1 John 4 verse 9, we also know that God first loved us because he sent his only begotten son into the world that we might live through him. If we change authors and slip to Paul now, Romans 5 8, we know that we are loved by the Son, the second, we know that we're person of this triune God, because while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. So when we've repented of our sins and put our trust in Jesus as our Saviour, and confess that Jesus is the Son of God, God abides in us and we in God. And we have known and believed the love that God has for us. God is love. And he who abides in love abides in God and God in him. And that's from 1 John 4, 15 and 16. So we have to understand that love and appropriate the love of the Father, the Son and the Holy Spirit into our lives. 
and then surely it becomes easier to understand the truth. So by faith we've accepted Jesus and then we can learn more about the truth. The Holy Spirit is the truth, isn't he? Let us look through some scriptures concerning the word truth. We've heard this today in John's Gospel right at the beginning. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was in the beginning with God. If you want to turn to uh, chapter 1 of John's Gospel, keep your finger in 2 John. Um, just going to read a couple of quotes from there. John tells us about the incarnation of Christ in these words. And we're going to look at John 1 verse 14 and then verse 17. So this is the Gospel of John, chapter 1 verse 14. And the word became flesh and dwelt among us, and we beheld his glory, the glory as of the only begotten of the Father, full of grace and truth. And then verse 17, for the law was given through Moses, but grace and truth came through Jesus Christ. If you want to follow me, John 14 verse 6 is the next quote. I'm sure you all know this by heart anyway. Jesus said of himself, I am the way, the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. And if you want to flick back, if you ever found John 14 to chapter 8, have a look at this one. Chapter 8 verses 31 and 32. If you abide in my word, you are my disciples indeed. Jesus speaking again, of course. And you shall know the truth and the truth shall make you free. And I think this is the last one I've got, probably um, John seventeen seven. When praying for his disciples just before his arrest, Jesus asked of his father, John seventeen seven. this is, Sanctify them by your truth. Your word is truth. So I said this is a very circuitous route. Where is all this leading to? Well, again, as truth seekers, we call ourselves truth seekers here. We need to be aware of the false doctrines being taught in some churches today, including the watering down of God's word, which can sometimes be done with a subtlety that people do not realise. And I want to give you an, an illustration from the Anglican Church. Now, I say here, I'm not deliberately picking on the Anglicans. It's just that two weeks ago, I saw a newspaper article about a body called GAFCON. You may or may not have heard of these people. But remember this. This is the Church of England. Sorry, no, it's not Church of England. It's the Anglican Church. I mustn't use that phrase. It's the Anglican Church talking about the Anglican Church. Okay? And different factions of it, obviously. But, um, yes, there was a meeting of GAFCON um, a couple of weeks ago that I saw in the paper. Anyway, GAFCON, G-A-F-C-O-N, stands for Global Anglican Future Conference. And it was, I believe, set up in 2008, at the, remember that date, at the instigation of um, Anglican evangelical leaders, mainly from Africa, mainly from Africa. So it wasn't the whole worldwide Anglican community that's being represented on GAFCON, just a, a part of it, okay? They had an in inaugural meeting in 2008 and um, this is how GAFCON arose this is a quote this is their quote um, from their inaugural meeting it says it was set up because of a false gospel 
being promoted within the Anglican Communion, which denies the uniqueness of Jesus Christ and promotes a variety of sexual preferences and immoral behaviour as a universal human right. Do you want me to read that again? Right. It was set up, GAFCON, remember, part of the Anglican Church, this conference was set up because of a false gospel being promoted within the Anglican Communion, which denies the uniqueness of Jesus Christ and promotes a variety of sexual preferences and immoral behaviour as a universal human right. So, does that remind you of John's Antichrist there at all? As I say, bear in mind all the time, this is not the whole of the Anglican community. We all know, we're going to sort of digress a bit now, we all know what was going on in Abraham's day in Sodom and Gomorrah. Um, I think some parts of the Anglican community think that um, the human race is progressing. But if you look at the sexual immorality, I would say that the human race is going backwards, it's regressing. They're saying that they're changing attitudes to meet the postmodern era, but in fact they're going back into depravity, that's the way I see it. Anyway, Leviticus 18.22 says, and this um, might remind you of some of the things that Peter said last week, you shall not lie with a male as with a woman, it is an abomination. Paul says in his letter to the Romans, Peter quoted this, that even the women, and that's of the unrighteous, exchange natural use for what is against nature, Romans 1.26. Now, I would like to think that Christians believe Paul's words to Timothy about the Bible. Uh, you should know this by heart, but look it up if you don't. It's 2 Timothy 3, one of those scriptures that you should remember for your witnessing. It's very useful when you're witnessing this scripture, when you're talking about the authority of the Bible. 2 Timothy 3, verses 16 and 17. All scripture is given by inspiration of God and is profitable for doctrine, for reproof, for correction, for instruction in righteousness, that the man of God may be complete, thoroughly equipped for every good work. Remember, we're still uh, talking about truth in the background here. So the Bible is the word of God. Let's add two further scriptures. Hebrews 13.8 says... Jesus Christ is the same yesterday and today and forever. And I think um, Peter quoted a, an Old Testament quote, didn't he? The Lord remains the same yesterday, today and forever effectively. Um, so the Bible is still effective, isn't it? The Bible still means what it meant, um, regardless of what stage we are in this postmodern world. Jesus himself said during the Sermon on the Mount, you might like to turn to this one. Matthew 5, verses 17 and 18, Jesus says, Do not think that I came to destroy the law or the prophets. I did not come to destroy, but to fulfil. For assuredly I say to you, till heaven and earth pass away, one jot or one tittle will by no means pass from the law till all is fulfilled. So here Jesus is affirming the Old Testament as the word of God. The ceremonial requirements of the Mosaic law were fulfilled in Jesus Christ himself and therefore are no longer to be observed by Christians. However, the underlying truths of the scriptures, the other scriptures, remain. Question, this is a sort of worldwide question. If we have these scriptures and others 
to guide us in the light of Christ, why do some parts of the church, and we can include here the Anglican community, we'll be coming back to GAFCON in a minute, so remember them, why do some parts of the church not obey God's word? Is it because they love darkness rather than the light? Or have they themselves been deceived by Satan? And um, I know, sort of um, um, alluding to some of the arguments they come up with, um, I know that we should love sinners and hate the sin. How do we relate, though, to a person who is unwilling to listen to God's word and repent of their sins? If I was an unrepentant, competitive, uh, compulsive, petty thief, would you want me standing here among the fellowship? Would the answer be the same in relation to an unrepentant, compulsive sinner continually disobeying God's word in any shape or form, sexually or otherwise? We have to show sensitivity, compassion and even empathy, but we must proclaim the truth of the gospel of Jesus Christ. We show no love if we cover up or wash over a person's sinful behaviour. And this is um, what was revealed to John in his revelation. You might want to turn to this. Revelation 21, verses 7 and 8. Revelation 21, 7 and 8. He who overcomes shall inherit all things, and I will be his God, and he shall be my son. But the cowardly, unbelieving, abominable, murderers, sexually immoral, sorcerers, idolaters and all liars shall have their part in the lake which burns with fire and brimstone, which is the second death. Okay, now returning to Gafcon and the leaders meeting of two weeks ago, the press were actually speculating on a schism or a split in the church, in the Anglican church, um, but that didn't happen. It seems to have receded, that threat seems to have receded at least for the present. Now, another statement was made at the close of the meeting. This is two weeks ago, remember? And a part of that statement was published in the Church Times. And I'm going to read it for you. This is only a part of it. I hope I'm not taking it out of context, because the whole thing wasn't quoted, but this is what they said. So this is GAFCON, remember? The, the people that, within the Anglican Fellowship that thought that the Gospel of Christ wasn't being preached correctly, and that there was various sexual immorality and the like going on. This is what they said. They want to touch the lives of many more Anglicans with gospel, gospel fellowship. That's great, isn't it? As part of this, we have identified a clear need for theological education and the training of leaders, especially bishops. And we have started to work on both of these priorities. That's the end of the quote. So it's taken seven years, sadly seven years, to get to that stage. And um, even more worrying, as I said, for our society today is that GAFCON is not supported wholeheartedly by all Anglicans. So, end of illustration. Do we want to live in the truth? Let's go back to John. John 2. 2 John, sorry. 2 John. So, truth mentioned here in this letter to John refers to the basic fundamentals of the faith such as the sound belief in Jesus and who he is, and also love and obedience, as already mentioned, and the abiding word of Christ. In verse 4 of this letter, as John writes that he has found some children walking in the truth, we can only assume that others are not and need correction. But for those walking in the truth, 
he says that grace, mercy and peace will be with them from God the Father and Jesus the Son. That's in verse 3. And when we come to love and obedience in verses 4 to 6, there's a sort of circular formula here. He says that the test of love is obedience, that's to God's commands. And the test of obedience is if you walk in love. Bit of a circular argument, isn't it? But, um, so the test of love, John fourteen fifteen says, if you love me, keep my commandments. So that's the test of love. The test of obedience, John 13, 34 and 35 says, a new commandment I give to you, that you love one another as I have loved you, that you also love one another. By this all will know that you are my disciples, if you have loved one another. So as I said, the argument is intentionally circular there. And um, I must tell you this, I think this is quite funny actually. It reminds me of um, being an accountant. Those circular formulas that you create in an Excel spreadsheet. Am I talking to anybody that understands this? Yeah. Which you get a little um, bleep that you down the bottom of the screen saying circular, circ, circ, and you've created a formula that relies on the answer of another formula, and um, they're done accidentally. But John's formula for love and obedience is done intentionally. That's the point I wanted to make. The uh, the Excel spreadsheets take you ages to get rid of them sometimes, but there we are. I'm not in that anymore. I'm retired. <laughs> Right, let's look at um, verses 7 to 11 now. And uh, it may be beneficial here to remind ourselves of the structure of the New Testament church at the time when John was writing. So recalling the uh, missionary work of Paul, uh, we see that the church was composed of many relatively small congregations. And Paul and his close associates had appointed leaders or elders in each church that was founded And as I said earlier, these um, elders tended to stay with their flocks. Now over time, there started to appear itinerant preachers who began to gain a prestigious reputation among those they visited. As life is, this then made it possible for undesirable characters, we might call them today con artists or scammers, to come along and take advantage of unsuspecting fellowships. They were clever at being able to live in comfort at the expense of the local congregations for at least a short time. And some of these preachers were heretical teachers, as John points out in verse 7. John had also warned of this kind of person at least twice in his first letter. I mention that, it's uh, 1 John 2.19 and 1 John 4.1. So in this passage we have uh, two warnings. Verse 8, first of all he says, Look to yourselves that we do not lose those things we worked for, but that we may receive a full reward. And I'll come back to that in a minute. And verses 10 and 11, If anyone comes to you and does not bring this doctrine, and again he's talking about the true doctrine of Christ, do not receive him into your house nor greet him, for he who greets him shares in his evil deeds. Both the warnings are given against the the background of the false doctrine of Christ. And it must be remembered that um, for John these issues involved more than just uh, personal disagreements or uh, minor disagreements of doctrine and um, nothing to do with personal misunderstandings at all, but it was clearly defined unbelief. That's what he saw here. 
and it involved the um, active, aggressive promotion of perversions of truth and practice that struck at the heart of Christianity. Now, the first warning then is not to lose the things that we worked for. Um, I made my own mind up about this. What, what are these things that um, John's talking about? And I believe it's, um, Tom has already touched on this this morning actually, I believe it's the whole Christian experience, everything that is based on the truth of the gospel. And um, I thought it could be summarised from Jesus' words to his disciples just before he said, I am the bread of life. Turn please to John 6, verses 27 to 29. So the things we work for. So Jesus says, do not labour for food which perishes, but for food which endures to everlasting life, which the Son of Man will give you, because God the Father has set his seal on him. Then they said to him, what shall we do that we may work the works of God? Jesus answered and said to them, this is the work of God, that you believe in him whom he sent. So what I felt was that our whole lives, since we trusted in Jesus, should reflect God's glory and bring glory back to the Father. It's everything that we are since we came to know Jesus as our Lord and Saviour. And I'm not going to go into the spiritual rewards here, spiritual, note spiritual rewards spoken of in this verse. They can be found in 1 Corinthians 3 verses 10 to 17 if you want to look that up later. But to keep our rewards, we need to keep our eyes fixed upon Jesus. And that means resisting temptation, meditating on God's word, having fellowship, everything to do with a Christian life. Now, the second warning is not to extend, not to extend hospitality to false teachers, lest we give the impression that we support their erroneous beliefs. Abraham Lincoln said, the best way to destroy our enemies is to make them our friends. Now, we should never compromise with mistaken teachers, but we do have an obligation of trying to lead them to the truth. And this may be a thin line to tread, and one's own faith and understanding must be strong and secure beyond corruption to even contemplate this approach. The congregation to whom John is writing is probably not mature enough to counter these false teachings, so he tells them to have nothing to do with these teachers. Now once again, as truth seekers, we need to be aware of those teachings that we see and hear around about, and especially, I'd like to add, some of the um, TV evangelists. We always need to be like the Bereans and check the scriptures. Now, John's farewell, just the last um, verse 12 really, because we've dealt with verse 13. In his closing letter, and I in my talk concur with John, that it's always better to speak face to face than to use paper and ink, or for that matter, telephone and Facebook. So may God bless us all and our joy be full. Let's pray. Father, we thank you that your word is truth. We thank you, Lord, for your Holy Spirit who guides us in all truth. We thank you, Lord, for the love that you have for us, reminding us again, Lord, of all that you've done for us. We thank you that you've brought us into this body, this fellowship. And we pray, Lord, that uh, we may do the works 
of him that you sent, our Lord Jesus, that we may always um, keep our eyes fixed upon him. We pray especially, Lord, that um, tomorrow those of us that go to the fair may be able to explain the truth of your word to those that may not know it. Help us, Lord. Guide us by your spirit, we pray. Give us everything we need. If we are available, you will give us all that we need to bring glory to your name. We ask this for Jesus' sake. Amen.